This time, on episode 448 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we talk the 2022 Disney Plus TV special, Werewolf by Night, and weekly Marvel news, including Harrison Ford finally getting to take on a role in the MCU as Thunderbolt Ross. Was Mephisto finally cast? And whether Adam Driver is going to have a role in the Fantastic Four. I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnerGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the shield director. And now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm the important part of Agent Chris. I'm Special Consultant Anthony. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Marvel Comic Book universes as told on screen by Marvel Studios. This show is recorded on Saturday, October 22nd, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast graveyard-wide. Come and join our live chat as we record. And if you didn't already catch on to it, we love talking about Marvel because let it roar. If you'd like to talk to us about roaring, you can find us at our website, legendsofshield.com. You can leave us a recording of your roar on our voicemail line, 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. If you know some people you can sneak up behind and roar and scare them, but also get it on video, make sure to tag us when you post it on Facebook at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you have any funny gifts of people roaring or make your own, you can find us on Twitter at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. You can post yourself roaring and share it on YouTube, where you can also find us at youtube.com slash gonna geek. If you want to interrupt some really good conversations just with some random roars, a good place to do that is in the Discord server, which you can find at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. This week, we are doing something so momentous that we had to bring out Anthony out of retirement to guest this week. Anthony, thanks for joining us. I didn't feel retired. I just, uh, unfortunately, I, I missed the last two She-Hulk episodes with y'all, and I was really sad. So I'm glad you're doing Werewolf by Night so I could get an opportunity to uh, join you guys once again. Well, we're really looking forward to covering it. And this is a special just popped up out of nowhere at the beginning of the month, at least as far as I was concerned. I was not tracking this be- actually being made. So this was an unexpected pleasure. And we are ready to talk about it. Should we go? Let's go.
Werewolf by Night premiered on Disney Plus on October 7th, 2022, right in time for the spooky season this year. The IMDb description reads, following a lycanthrope superhero who fights evil using abilities given to him by a curse brought on by his bloodline. Warren, who directed the episode? So this was directed by Michael Giacchino, who only has three directing credits starting in 2018, including a short called Monster Challenge, one episode of Star Trek Short Treks, and Werewolf by Night. But... He does have 157 composer credits and 64 music department credits. He did, in fact, produce Werewolf by Night score and 48 soundtrack credits, including She-Hulk Attorney at Law, a whole bunch of other Marvel movies, including the Spider-Man ones, more recent ones, not the, you know, the other two ones. And the Star Trek, the new Kelvin Universe stuff. This guy's done a lot. Well, this episode, first we have Story and Teleplay by Heather Quinn, has two writing credits starting in 2022, one episode of Hawkeye. Heather was the staff writer and co-producer on three other episodes, and Werewolf by Night, she also is a co-producer. The Teleplay, Peter Cameron, has 11 writing credits starting in 2009, including one Carnival Row, two WandaVision, two episodes of Moon Knight. All right, so we have a list of the main cast in front of us that was in the one-shot, I guess, episode, whatever you want to call it. And each one of us had kind of picked one that we wanted to talk about. So, Lauren, we'll, talk, we'll start with you. Who is your favorite here, I guess? So, I was really happy when Gael Garcia Bernal was cast as Jack Russell, the titular werewolf by night. He's been in a lot of stuff, Spanish language, English. He's probably most famous for co-starring with Diego Luna in Itu Mama Tambien. But the thing that I kind of really, really love him in is he was in a movie a few years back called Book of Life, where he played the main character, Manolo. And it's this whole thing about Dia de los Muertos, and it's really good. And in a show by the same creator of Book of Life, Maya and the Three on Netflix, he voices a character there. So the thing is that that character and his character in Book of Life are supposed to be basically him reincarnated. So it's really cool. I really, really like him. He's been in a lot. He's been in like Mozart in the Jungle on Amazon Prime. He's a voice in Coco. He's the voice of Hector, the kind of ratty looking skeleton co-star of it so he does really good voice work and as you can see here he is a lot of fun indeed now chris we had the introduction of man thing and there was an actor behind it there was an actor behind it the actor here was carrie jones and i just really love the depiction of man thing here part of it might be because my cats we can kind of We've gotten really good at understanding what their different noises mean. Part of it might be because they, I'll bet that they really just like had him talk and did ADR sound over it. So it sounded more monstrous, but there was no question in either of our minds what man thing was trying to communicate. And a lot of that just has to go to 
the way that Carrie Jones went and did their portrayal of Man Thing here and just the movements, just the physical acting of everything. It was a really good job. One of the big things that contributed to the tone of this whole thing, which we'll talk about in a little bit, was the narrator. So, Michelle, who actually voiced the narration? Well, they went all out, in my opinion, by getting one of the voices that many of us know, and that's Rick Wasserman, who has done a ton, has 102 credits as an actor, mostly a voice actor. We're talking a lot of video games like Halo, Batman, The Last of Us, Dota Underlords. Then there's, of course, the animated work like in Constantine, other, you know, DC and Marvel things. It was a great choice to get him to be the narrator. He fit perfectly. It's amazing. I chose Laura Donnelly, who played Elsa Bloodstone, and it was a really good fit, I think, at least in the acting. I don't know if she did her own stunts or not. I will have to at least look into that. But I think she did the character justice, and there was a certain believability to it and everything. So I really enjoyed that. So with all that said, Anthony, how would you grade us? Did we pick the prime actors here, or is there somebody that we left out? No, I think y'all got everybody that really needed to be addressed. I see on the, the cast list that there was uh, one, one of my favorite just odd choices is uh, David Silverman as the Flaming Tuba, which I thought just brought just this. It really helped sell the tone. Like, yeah, there's this guy playing a tuba to announce that all the, the hunters are getting ready to leave. Oh, and the tuba's on fire. Just because like they leaned into it how is that his real life hobby (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if he actually was playing the tuba no he does apparently somebody was like hey yeah i know a guy that does this weird thing and it just happened to be david silverman like how do you discover that as a hobby do you get bored or drunk or i mean maybe he got inspired by romstein i don't know I mean, I've seen flaming bagpipes. I've seen flaming bagpipes. I've seen flaming keyboards, flaming guitars. Never seen a flaming tuba. I'm impressed. My concern is, would it melt the brass? I mean, I'm a, I'm a former trumpet player myself, and that's the first thing that popped into my mind. I was like, that, all that heat can't possibly be good for the instrument. So the way a tuba is put together, you can actually take the bell off. So you could probably insert a new bell that was less brass and more metal it was dark right and it was black and white so i don't know if it was actually brass or if it was a a steel that they could set on fire or something like that fair enough but then that would you know what does that do with the acoustics and now you're getting into you're just making announcements you're not playing some symphonies well it brings a whole new meaning to having to warm up before your performance but um boo (laughs) boo this man Having played a brass instrument for my entire life, I get to (laughs) make that once in a while. All right. Yes. uh, Great cast all around. Those were our highlights. If you are interested in learning more about everybody that's played here, IMDb is a great resource that we use and Wikipedia as well. Can I bring up real quick? 
Kirk Thatcher, the guy that played Joven, the kind of jerk hunter that was like always talking to them. That guy is actually like a Muppeteer. He does a lot of puppet work. He did special effects for like Return of the Jedi and stuff. Like, just look at his IMDb. It's fascinating. Did he happen to be in the latest incarnation of Rings of Power? Uh, no. Okay. I could see him playing a dwarf, too. Anyway, that's the main cast there. And as we always do, there is a Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. exclusive that we actually run down a synopsis of what happened here so that we don't have to rehash play-by-play what goes on when we talk about the rest of the episode, the themes of the episode, and so on and so forth. So with that, I'm going to start us off today. We know this is different when the Marvel Studios beginning credits turn black and white, and we hear screams and we see slashes across the screen. Even the music is different. A narrator tells us we enter a world of darkness where people hunt monsters. The most famous is the Bloodstone family, wielders of a weapon called the Bloodstone. Because Ulysses' Bloodstone has died, various monster hunters gather so that the Bloodstone can find a new master, which a hunt will determine. The hunters include Jack Russell, Joven, Azarel, Leorn, and Barrasso. Well, they were invited. Crashing the party is Elsa, the daughter who Verusa, her stepmother, calls the greatest disappointment in Ulysses' life. Verusa recites the number of kills each hunter has on their resume. The animated corpse of Ulysses gives the hunters their task, to kill the beast that will be released in the garden. The bloodstone will be attached to the monster. The hunters can hunt the monsters and each other. The flaming tuba signals each hunter's entrance into the garden. Their first task is to find weapons. Jack and Elsa bump into each other, then Joven attacks. Elsa gets the axe, and at the tomb, Leorn attacks Elsa, but she cuts his arm off at the elbow. They fight. Elsa grabs the cut-off arm and uses the weapon to eliminate Leorn. Elsa hides when Joven comes. All Joven finds is the axe. Jack stands by the hedge and is grabbed by the creature, but this is what Jack wants because he's here to help the creature. Azarel finds Jack and chases him into the tomb. Jack closes the door, locking him and Elsa inside. Jack helps Elsa take care of her wound and proposes a deal. He gets the monster out alive, and she can have the stone. Elsa remembers that her Aunt Frances thought she would come back from the dead, and remembers that Aunt Frances was buried with the keys. Elsa tells Jack how to use the explosive, and she learns the creature's name is Ted. Of course, Jack messes up how to work the explosive, Ted finds Joven and Elsa. Ted melts Joven. Literally. Fortunately, Elsa can connect with Ted and lead him to the wall. Jack gets the explosive to work. Ted leaves. Elsa gets the stone off Ted's back, and for some reason, Jack decides to touch the stone, revealing that he is indeed a monster. Barusa locks Jack and Elsa in the same cage. Jack explains that the hunter in him is the werewolf. As Verusa and the others enter, Jack sniffs Elsa. Verusa then uses the bloodstone on him, forcing him to transform into a werewolf. When Verusa steps too close to the cage, the werewolf grabs her, and the guards shock the werewolf. When the smoke clears, we see that the werewolf has escaped the cage. The werewolf kills the guards. 
Elsa grabs a sword and takes care of Barusa and Azariel. Barusa uses the bloodstone against the werewolf. Elsa stabs Barusa in the back. Elsa tucks the bloodstone in her back pocket and approaches the werewolf. The werewolf leaps but doesn't harm Elsa. The werewolf leaves. Barusa lives! <laughs> and she wants to kill Elsa. But Ted crashes the party and melts Verusa. Elsa lets Ted know which way Jack went. Elsa has a seat, and somewhere over the rainbow begins to play and color returns to the world. Ted has successfully rescued Jack, who admits that he owes Ted sushi. Let's all go get sushi. All right, so let's give our overall thoughts. Anthony, we'll start with you. I thoroughly appreciated the special. This is our first entry into another corner of the MCU. I feel that it leaves us with just as many questions as answers, but for a change of pace, that's a good thing. I was not expecting a horror film in the style of the old Universal Monster movies from the 1930s to 1950s. This thing is just campy in all of the best ways possible. It just fully leans into it and it knows exactly what it is. After it finished, I really wanted to go back and watch a bunch of old Lon Chaney movies. I found this a decently made Disney Marvel horror hour, if that's your thing. And even if it's not, it was definitely entertaining. All right, with that, let's start talking about the overall tone, the feel of it. We were talking about a lot of us. I've already mentioned it. This was had the feel of a monster movie back in the 40s. Oh, indeed. We have, of course, in black and white, we've got the overacting, the obvious fake weapons showing Jack's transformation in shadow and focusing the shot on Elsa. Um, the only color being like the red of the bloodstone at the end. We have, of course, you need someone at the center. And I don't mean this, this like the center of the overacting of the villain. And we have Harriet Sansom Harris, who was amazing. I think she did the greats proud. And I mean, like Lon Chaney, Bella Lugosi, Boris Karloff, Vincent Price. And of course, Christopher Lee. Yes, I know he was in the Hammer Dracula ones, but and that's not universal. I really, if Christopher Lee was still with us, Harriet, again, you're amazing. I would have loved to have seen Christopher Lee in that role. I know it wouldn't be the stepmother, but hey, it could be a stepfather. Ulysses could be gay. She could have, you know, it would have been amazing. Didn't matter. But it was still that wonderful. It was short. Um, you need to realize a lot of the Universal movies are barely an hour to an hour and a half. So this was short, just like they are. And... I enjoyed this so much. And I, I also, too, started to rewatch some of the stuff. And a lot of the Universal stuff is on Peacock in case you are wanting to watch some of these after you watch us. So, yeah, it's there's a bunch of callbacks to various Universal movies and a little bit of Hammer movies, a little bit of Amicus movies. So I know in particular the werewolf makeup, the body was very much based on the Lon Chaney one. The face is from, it's London something. It's not American Werewolf in London. It's an older British movie. 
and they have like the little cigarette burns in the corner to to change the reel at like the 16 and 32 minute marks the beginning had the the cbs from the 70s the cbs special presentation kind of bumper thing the Marvel Studio Presents thing is also kind of reminiscent of the horror comics that they started doing in the 70s after the comics code kind of went away, which actually Werewolf by Night and Man-Thing were some of the comics that were brought around in that era. So that was really cool to see. Yeah, it was obvious that the crew uh, that put this together really admired and appreciated those films and it, this was done with such love and reverence for for that genre and that style of filmmaking and that goes to you know not just the the appearance of as you know as lauren was saying the theme and the the beginning and the, the intros and the bumpers and the font that they used for the introduction and the title screen is very much out of you know, a forties, uh, horror film, but also that extends then to the, just the way the, the entire special was made. There was so much practical stuff on set and especially man thing. Yes. Ted's face was animated with additional CGI stuff, but there was a man inside a suit. They built a man thing suit that someone wore on set and that love and that just level of detail and care is something that, sad to say, is missing from a lot of the current MCU stuff. So much is done with just CGI and, oh, we'll just fix it in post, we'll edit it in post, we'll create a suit in post. There's something to be said about acting off of a person wearing a suit and getting just something to play off of. And again, it just comes out in those characters. And coming back to Man-Thing, I never thought I would ever see Man-Thing in the MCU. Now, he's been referenced a couple times. He was referenced in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was referenced in, I want to say, another Thor, uh, one of the Thor movies. But to actually see Ted Salas live in the MCU was just something I never really thought I would see because I just appreciate the character from from that standpoint, again, to, to Lauren's point, once the code was dropped or at least, you know, softened in the seventies, you got to see a lot more of those characters that really wouldn't have been out of place in an EC comics book in the fifties, you know, pre seduction of the innocent, et cetera, et cetera. And so man thing is very much one of those characters as is werewolf by night, who, if you know me and you know I'm a, a Moon Knight fan, I have an appreciation for because Moon Knight made his debut in Werewolf by Night. So there's that connection to the character as well. So this is just filled with characters that I love to say nothing of Elsa, but we'll, we'll get to her in a moment. I don't have a ton of direct experience with those old 30s, 40s, 50s horror movies. But what I do have a lot more experience with is things riffing off of them and making those references. So all of the Scooby-Doo stuff with Vincent Price, Doom Patrol, like everything like that, where they're just making fun of it. The random bits of like every cartoon ever known to 90s kids. So even though I don't know exactly 
the super specifics on what they're working off of for these references. I've been around the references so long that it all just made perfect sense to me. And the only thing missing for me was a cup of marshmallowy cereal. Count Chocula, maybe? <laughs> maybe. Booberry. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of great performances here. I'd be the first to admit, horror is just not my thing, right? But this was well put together enough to keep my attention for a hour. When this first came out, October 7th, I believe that was a Thursday or whatever. Michelle brought it up and everything. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to do it. So I think Friday night I sat down and I watched it. I was like, yeah, okay, this is dope. Might as well get into the spirit of Halloween, right? Spooky spirits and stuff. So it was it was good. One of the things that I don't like about horror is the big, gruesome gore, right? And we did get some of that, but it was really toned down and it was meaningful every single time. It wasn't not meaningful. It wasn't just gratuitous. It was there to prove a point, like the hallway fight scene, right? You got a lot of gore and stuff there, but it was meant to prove the point that uh, the werewolf needed to take care of all these guards or what. I don't even know what to call them. They were just private security, I guess. Mooks. Yeah. And they would have taken them out. So they needed to dispose of them. So that was a way to do it all in one big hallway fight scene with the suspense of the door closing. So he needed to get back through that door to get into the big atrium and everything. So, yeah, I, I was OK with it. I not a big fan of the gore, but it was well done. I had to admit it was well done. If this movie was in color, it would have been a lot, lot gorier, but they were able to get away with it because it was in black and white. And that's why this wasn't like TVMA, because it absolutely would have been TVMA if the blood had been red, if this had been in color. Apparently, Michael Giacchino is really surprised it got TV-14 instead of TVMA. So I am a huge horror fan. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I watch a horror movie a day, every day in October. And one of the things that I loved about this is, yeah, they relied more on practical effects. I absolutely adore practical effects in horror movies. And yeah, one of the things they tend to use it for is gore, which for a while there, there was like the torture porn craze of like the mid 2000s. And I wasn't so much into that. But so yesterday I watched Terrifier and the gore in that was so well done. And so it can be like a really interesting feature of horror. And I know that, you know, the, the Universal movies didn't so much rely on it because, you know, movie code, but Hammer did. And this kind of got that, that feel of the Hammer horror movies in terms of the, the use of gore and violence and arm removals and things like that. So... Yeah, the horror fan in me really, really appreciated their use of practical effects there. Yeah, especially when they did the practical effects of cutting the guy's arm off. I mean, that was practical, right? But I guess maybe I'm a little desensitized to that because we've watched all these like Game of Thrones sort of things, the Rings of Power, where you have these Vikings 
on the History Channel and that's streaming now. But we've had all of these, which you get this sort of melee fighting, close-in fighting, hand-to-hand fighting. You get these sorts of injuries when you're doing it. So maybe I'm a little desensitized to it, but it's it's part of close hand-in-hand fighting that you get with monsters because not everybody can bring a 50 caliber to fight. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have even worked here. It was one of the things I was going to talk about was the set. So you got the paintball field out back. That's what I'll call it, the paintball field. If you ever go out to a paintball field, they could be anything from just, you know, tires stacked up everywhere. Or you can literally get concrete barriers everywhere because concrete is easy to to wash off and, and repaint and stuff like that. So it would just remind me of a, a great big paintball field out back that is meant for this sort of maze sort of fighting and mazes fit in with this time of year as well. And I also was duped the first time I was watching this in that I thought they were in the dungeon when they went back and Elsa and the werewolf were a Jack were in the cage. I thought that was in the basement. That wasn't, that was in the main atrium, right? So they just reused the sets over and over. It was, it was very limited. You had the maze, you had the atrium and then you had the little room where all the coffins were which i don't think even was a room really i think it was just an open set but i think the sets really worked for this and it was at night so you didn't need to light up anything really i absolutely loved the mausoleum set my favorite thing in there is that every marker was done like a movie marquee that's right almost felt bad that she bad that she smashed her way in there right it's like oh it's it's like art and you're just smashing it oh well need the key yeah look if sarah connor taught me anything it's that you can find weapons in mausoleums so good on elsa (laughs) especially if you stash them there all right i think it's interesting about the idea of family we have the estranged family, like with Elsa and Verusa, there's this interesting conversation that happens in that um, tomb between Jack and Elsa and where Jack talks about family stays with you, like the atmosphere, whether for good or ill, there's something that you have to deal with and that you have to process and accept. I just thought that was interesting because he talks about, you know, he, his own origins then compared to Elsa's origins. And then we have, you know, he says he's related to like man thing, you know, to Ted, but you know, you realize it's more like they're a found family. They're more of a found brotherhood and they're talking about, no brother, I've rescued you more. No, I've rescued you more. That, family little staying with each other and having each other's back that it seems Elsa didn't have with her father and even her stepmother because there's that remark that she's more like her mother and we don't even need to know all about that type of stuff that's one of the things like we found out about these characters and this idea about found family just through the dialogue and the way they interacted with each other through fighting and their expressions like you could immediately tell elsa and jack were different because when they bumped into each other they were not immediately attacking each other like there was they they realized there's just something else going on and yeah 
we seem to be having this found family all over the place. You know, we've talked about it a lot with the X-Men stuff. We've talked about it with like every show that we've had here. And it, it's just something that comics seems to be really good at because all the time you're getting people shoved together and you've got it here with Jack and Ted. You've got it here with Jack and Elsa. Jack is seems to be the giant linchpin of family in whatever context you want to use the word in in this show. So found family is absolutely my jam, which is one of the reasons why I think I love Marvel so much. You get all these groups of weirdos that get together because the whole thing with it is no matter how weird you are, there's somebody out there who's just as weird. And you can go hang out and be weird together. And it's okay. And I love that. And I really, really loved that interaction between Jack and Ted. And it was so interesting to see that compared to Elsa, who comes from a very toxic birth family. It's it's just so good. I love it. Yeah, we did an entire episode on Elsa and all of the various issues and problems that she has with her birth family and it's also important to note that at least within the comics sense there's the elsa that was originally introduced in bloodstone and then the elsa that was basically completely revamped for next wave and that's the version of elsa that has sort of carried on moving forward and i thought that just her characterization here was very in line with that snarkiness i do kind of miss i was hoping a little more for something a little closer to the look because that long red hair and the trench coat and the shotgun and, and the guns very very big on elsa in the comics so maybe hopefully future appearances we can get a little more like that but yes found family absolutely and the thing another thing that i really appreciate about this was and this may have been just a consequence of the short runtime is we just get right into the story there's no major origin we're not finding out a whole bunch about the backgrounds of these characters we don't know how ted salas became man thing we don't know how jack became werewolf we don't know all the stuff about elsa there's bits and pieces sprinkled here throughout the dialogue and that's why i said at the beginning there's more questions or there's at least just as many questions as answers and that's a good thing because if it's done correctly like it is here, you want to know more about these characters. And you're like, oh, they're talking about this. Well, how did Ted become Man-Thing? How did Jack get the curse? You know, he references when he's sniffing Elsa and he's like, I want to remember you. And she's like, has this ever worked? And he's like, once. Oh, oh, that's a noodle incident. I need to know more about that. I want to know. You can't just drop a reference like that and then walk away. Like, I mean, you can, but now it, it brings you in. And at some point, maybe we'll get down the line. Uh, we'll we'll find out more about that, but I just I really appreciate the limitations of the time frame force you to just get right into the story. You don't need that lengthy origin. It's just you find it through dialogue and the character interactions, and that's how you come to really find and appreciate and connect with these characters. This is why I'm I was saying before that it's kind of like a backdoor pilot because you get. All of these things that are just popped up, they're not even trying to worry about it, answering them here, which is perfectly fine. But you can also sit there and look at all the fan reaction and 
what do the fans talk about wanting to hear more about and just follow your path that way? Because I'm sure Kevin Feige kind of has ideas for every character, but you know, maybe these are some of these mystery projects. You mean the robot Kevin, of course. Yeah, Scott was joking about that while we were watching. So would y'all be as excited as I would be if they did like these yearly Halloween specials featuring like some of the characters from what's it called? Anthony, you would probably know. It's not like the Monster Squad or the League of Monsters or something, but they have a name. It's like Man-Thing, Werewolf by Night. Oh, geez. I'm blanking out on who else. I was just looking at it. It's not Midnight Suns. That's that's a whole other thing. Although I would very much love to see a Midnight Suns special in here. I mean, you can I mean, if you're going through the comics, I mean, you've got Tomb of Dracula. You can obviously bring in that, which then opens up the door to Blade. And we've established that vampires exist in the MCU. So that may be a way to bring in Blade and introduce him. Aside from, you know, just a voice, there's a lot with the monster characters that can be done. Absolutely. I don't know. I know what you're talking about, Lauren, but I don't know the name of the group. I was just looking it up. There is a Legion of Monsters. There's an Avengers of the Supernatural. Uh, Man-Thing was a part of the Midnight Suns, so you could get into it that way if you wanted to do a Midnight Suns thing. But also the current comic has Wolverine, so you know it doesn't matter who else is there. There's Wolverine. They can make it happen. I would love these yearly things. This was amazing. And a good old Halloween special. When I was a kid, you had, you know, the, the Thanksgiving special. You had the Christmas special. Having a Halloween special from Marvel yearly with they got Disney Plus. They can drop it whenever they want. They, they dropped this at the beginning of October. Perfect timing. So Anthony brought up vampires. That's one of the funny little Easter eggs that you can find in this with the whole, yeah, I know him with that Nosferatu, which I was looking it up. And apparently those particular Nosferatu originated in the Bloodstone comic. And I guess they have some sort of connection to Atlantis, which is now... Um, not Atlantis. They gave it another name for Wakanda Forever, which we'll find out in a couple weeks. But there's also some references along that mural. Like you get uh, Wendigo and Sasquatch. And there's this one panel. I was like, oh my God, this looks so familiar. Why does this look so familiar? It's a panel from Thor number five with Thor versus Gore the God Butcher, who in the comics looks a lot more like a Twi'lek from Star Wars. Or Voldemort. This mural is in the hallway. So as Jack is coming in, that's pretty much how we're introduced to this whole thing. You get the wide shot of the mausoleum and the atrium and stuff. And then you get Jack coming in through the entrance, through the hallway, and you see the mural as you're going through. So you're, the tone is kind of set of, okay, you're entering monsters and the narration is going. And it's all just combined into setting the tone just so well. Anthony, you mentioned Elsa and her costume and the fact that she didn't have the shotguns in the, in the large trench coat. One, I could see no shotguns here because they were told all the weapons is going to be out there and you can only use those weapons. You can't use any other weapons, right? So I could see the loss of shotguns. As far as the trench coat, 
her movements in here really dictated not using a trench coat because she was flying around quite a bit in a trench coat would have just hampered a lot of those movements as she was flying around really and, and taking people down from on top it i don't think a trench coat would really have helped there so maybe that it was a stylistic choice just due to the action well i think within the comics she makes it work and also we've seen in films like the matrix you can still have incredible action with long flowing coats so maybe maybe for next time maybe you know we don't know where she's been for 20 years we don't know what she's been up to so there's always that aspect of it as well So speaking of guns, there's a part towards the beginning where they show this plaque that has like a sword and a rifle crossed. And I was thinking, oh, at some point she's going to use the rifle. It's going to be so cool. And instead she grabs the sword or the sword gets grabbed. I don't remember if she grabs it or if Verusa does. Totally off topic, but I saw a meme on social media this week and it was uh, Lord of the Rings. It was Legolas, Lord of the Rings with a bow and arrow and quiver and stuff like that. And Legolas with a rifle and it was like a third of the size. Right? <laughs> and he took care of business with that rifle, that sniper rifle. Okay. Anybody else have some thoughts here? A couple. So Gael Garcia Bernal, Jack Russell, is just He's already adorable. He has big puppy eyes. He puts them to good use here. There's also some hints that he's a werewolf with the occasional kind of dog body language, dog slash wolf body language, like uh, scratching his ear when some I forget what was mentioned. But and then when he's going to sit down in the cage, he like spins around a couple times before he sits, which cracks me up because my dog does that. And also, Harriet Sansom Harris. I was watching, I was like, why is she so familiar? So I checked IMDb. So if you, like me, are a fan of the 90s Adams Family movies, particularly Adams Family Values, you'll recognize her as So Harmony from Buffy was in both as this really obnoxious little girl. And her name in Adams Family Values is Amanda Buckley. So Harriet Sansom Harris plays her mother, who at the end of the movie, well, at the end of the camp part of the movie, is getting tied to a pole and getting ready to be burned alive. It's pretty great. Sure. So I, I just couldn't unsee that after I saw that. I One of the things I really appreciate, and we were talking about the throwback appearance and the visual aesthetic, it's also not exactly clear when. In the MCU, this is happening because so much of the the style of this is very old, and yet the SWAT team or whatever that shows up to help fight the the werewolf is dressed in modern gear. Ted and and Jack at the end are drinking coffee with a French press. There's some modern stuff in here, but so much of the appearance whether it's, again, just the, the clothing, the old gramophone-style record player, etc. So much of this is has that 30s, 40s aesthetic to it, but it's set in modern times. And I just kind of appreciated this ambiguous time frame that is just sort of, here, here's a story. We're not really trying to go uh, you know, too in-depth. And obviously, 
folks like us are going to sit and try and nitpick as to exactly when within the time frame of the MCU this is happening. But I just appreciated that this was very much a standalone story. It's, you know, intentionally anachronistic at times. And uh, it just, like I said, it just added to that vibe. Um, and that's one of the things that, that really made me enjoy it all the more. The wind-up animatronic Ulysses at the beginning. <laughs> that was yeah, amazing. Yeah, that was great. I'm rotting for you. Total reference to the Crypt Keeper. I loved it. So this Bloodstone, I mean, we've just got through the Infinity Stones and everything like that. And I know that this probably has no relation whatsoever, but I don't know what the powers of the Bloodstone is, what its origin is. Anybody know from the comics anything about the Bloodstone? I do know that like the Infinity Stones were Infinity Gems in the comics, this was a Blood Gem in the comics. So you got to keep that thematic change going. Beyond that, I really don't know. What is it with Marvel and shiny rocks having all the power? They're not wrong. All I know is that if you don't like Ted, we'll have to reevaluate our friendship. Ted was pretty cool. And at the end, you know, he's he's hung over, right? He's just been spent the night partying as the werewolf, right? And he's coming out with his cloak and everything. And, and Ted gives him the coffee or tea or whatever it was. I assume it was coffee, right? And he's he's like, you know, with a gruff voice and everything. It's like any one of us but spent the night out partying too hard. And that's how we act. Right. And uh, they just act like bros at that point. I'm like, dude, I'm not really hungry. Well, being a werewolf, you know, that's well, that was no, that was Jack, you know, after being a werewolf, changing back, feeling awful, Ted telling him, you, you know, I, I rescued you. and. Jack's like, no, but Jack in the end, of course, is like, yes, you, you do need some sushi. We don't really get this uh, when the Hulk transforms back, like in the early parts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We don't really get the Hulk hung over like this. So this is kind of a, a new thing as somebody's transforming back. So I think because this is a curse, that might be part of it. So I get migraines. And one of the things that happens is I always call it a migraine hangover. So I feel like this is the equivalent of a migraine hangover, but for werewolves. It just, it takes a lot out of you. Your body is not meant to be doing it. It's not adapted to it by science. It's just, you know, your bones break and reform. And like, I loved that transformation scene where all you hear is the sounds. Yeah, they were saving money on the CGI. K-E-V-I-N didn't approve the CGI funds for this, for that. Well, from what I read, the transformation with the shadows and everything, those were all different actors that were, so they would, you know, pop up and, and that's how it was shot with the lighting, that it was different actors playing. So they would, you know, dress them up with the appropriate amount of prosthetics, whatever, so that they would show up and, ah, and then drop down and then someone else would pop up with a little more makeup and that's how it was done. Again, going back oh, to that, that practical that. nature. Yeah, you could do it in a theater that way. Cool. All right. Any final thoughts? Lauren, we'll start. This was good, old-fashioned family horror. And I'm going to have fun watching it again. Just, oh, it was fun. It was just fun, and it made me want to watch more horror movies, which I will after we're done. Kaylee tends to be the one to look things up 
as we're watching these because it doesn't really matter if she gets spoiled for something. So she's sitting there. She, she like, oh man, Jack, I, where do I recognize his voice from? Oh, he, he's in one of the Troll Hunters series as, as well. But when she saw that his name was Jack Russell, I mean, it was a full-on two-handed facepalm. Really, they named the werewolf Jack Russell. And that's why I love Marvel. To follow up on everybody's points, I think we need more of these. I am probably going to rewatch this at some point in the not-too-distant future. And I really do hope that we get more glimpses like this this kind of harkens back to the one shots that marvel was doing very early on in the mcu this is a longer version of that tell the stories create these really compelling characters and the fans will absolutely glom on not everything needs to be this two hour long epic that has all these ramifications within the mcu sometimes you just want to have fun tell a story go different with the genre and if it's done right and with the care reverence and love that this production clearly has for the source material of the vibe you get a winner like this i can see myself watching this every halloween is one of those films that i will enjoy going back to if this is any indication of the quality of the thematic tone that we're going to get with the guardians of the galaxy holiday special just coming up in about a month or so I'm all for it. And I might give this a watch next year, especially if they give us something else next year as well. In the meantime, we're going to be talking about X-Men, the animated series. We're going to return to that next time. Season four, episodes five through seven. That's where we're at. And as a reminder, we're trying to get through all of the five seasons of X-Men, the animated series before X-Men 97 comes out. But we're doing it sandwiched in between all the other great Marvel content out there, either on Disney Plus or in the theater. So I don't know if we'll make it or not, but we're going to give it a valiant effort. And that's where we're at. Season four, episodes five through seven next time. If anybody has any comments about Werewolf by Night, we'll talk about it in the future. Go ahead and leave us feedback for that. In the meantime, we have some really cool Marvel Studio news to get to. So when William Hurt died, we were, I mean, other than being sad, we were kind of left wondering, okay, what's going to happen with Thunderbolt Ross, especially considering that they're doing the Thunderbolts. We have an answer. Harrison Ford will replace him. Harrison Ford will be start, will be co-starring as Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross for Captain America New World Order. He will star alongside Anthony Mackie with Shira Haas, Tim Blake Nelson, and Carl Lumbly also among the ensemble. And you might remember Shira Haas is actually in the Thunderbolts movie? Movie. Harrison Ford in the MCU. I think we were all just waiting for big name actor to come on in like Harrison Ford. The problem I find with Harrison Ford is, unfortunately, and I love him. I love him in just about everything he's done regarding Henry Han Solo, Indiana Jones, just almost everything he touches is gold, right? I don't have a problem with him coming in and playing Thunderbolt Ross. I have a concern that he might not 
be able to continue the role as long as Marvel wants Thunderbolt Ross around. That is my one concern. I mean, dude's old, basically, is what my point is. So hopefully he'll make it through. He may be old, but he can still get it. We also don't know how long they have plans for Thunderbolt Ross. I mean, even canonically, the character has had triple bypass. So there's there's that to be taken into consideration. I'm just looking forward to his usual brand of unbridled enthusiasm and joy during the promo tour for this film when it inevitably comes out. He's just going to be you know, full of energy and, and joie de vivre when talking about these movies. I'm, I can't wait for that. It's going to be, you know, like a, like a bright eyed and bushy tailed squirrel talking about these films. I really do kind of love how awkward he makes interviews. It's, I know it's annoying for the interviewer, but it's hilarious to me. And I'm kind of sad that Conan no longer has a TV show because every time he would go on Conan, it was just amazing. Yeah, dudes from a different era, that's for sure. All right, Chris, what we got in terms of possible casting of a noted character that we've been looking forward to? Multiple outlets have reported on the rumor, and Lizzie Hill took to Twitter. She is editor-in-chief of Cosmic Circus, and you know, kind of clarifying what she heard, and according to all these sources, Marvel Studios... Marvel Studios has cast Sasha Baron Cohen in Ironheart. But many people are also trying to figure out who he's going to be. And we might finally get me a way to stop asking, is this person really Mephisto? I thought you were going to say Gwen. Well, Gwen's never going to happen. I've. Ooh. No, no, never. No, I take it back. Gwen's going to happen because Gwen is the best. But Sasha Baron Cohen is Gwen. No, what we need is a way to pull Emma Stone back in as Gwen. I'm wondering if they're really going to introduce Mephisto in a Disney Plus series because Ironheart's Disney Plus, right? So that's a good question, but it would be nice to finally get a Mephisto in the MCU. So I don't know. We'll see how this goes. We rarely report on rumors but i think this one's got some legs to it so maybe it'll happen i see two possibilities here for what they're doing one is that this is just the here's your little teaser trailer here's mephisto and then they do the proper introduction in a full-on movie the other is that they're completely trolling us because they know everybody's looking for mephisto so I'm not the hugest fan of Sasha Baron Cohen. I didn't like Ali G. I didn't like Borat. But he's been okay in some of the other movies he's been in. Like he was in the Hugh Jackman version of Les Mis. He was in Sweeney Todd. I mean, I'll give him a chance, but we'll see. My thing is, how are you going to bring in Mephisto because Mephisto necessarily brings in a whole other section of the MCU that I'm not really clear how they're going to explain this. So I don't know what they're going to do with Mephisto. I don't know how they're going to bring him in, but he is going to raise a lot of concerns about 
hell and things of, of that nature. Well, one thing that I'm wondering about is basically what this rumor is, is he's been cast in Ironheart. So what is his role going to be in Ironheart? That's really the, the bottom line. Now, Ironheart's going to be introduced in the next uh, Black Panther movie coming out in two weeks, I think. Or is it next week? It's two weeks. And then we'll see from there, right? Well, the way it works is going to be really easy. They're going to use magnets. <laughs> Something magnets. about magnets. Magnets. How do they work? <laughs> Michelle, we have another rumor that's got some legs to it. I usually don't talk about rumors, but this is about Adam Driver. And I like Adam Driver, not as much as John Oliver. So, Mr. Driver, <laughs> you don't have to worry. I am not on the level of John Oliver. So you don't have to worry about a restraining order or anything like that. But according to the Hot Mike podcast, Driver has met with Marvel Studios for an undisclosed role in an upcoming re reboot of The First Family. There's no world word on which role Driver would play, though his villainous turn in Star Wars makes Doctor Doom an obvious choice. I would say yes. He is a unique actor. He has a very interesting presence and in how he can just change. He's very good at whether it's like this weird family thing. I saw bits and pieces of that weird marriage movie with a oh, what's her name scarlett johansson yeah scarlett johansson i don't really want to watch any more of it but he's intriguing and look no matter what you say about the last star wars trilogy you have to admit adam driver did a lot with the crud he was given when it came to kylo ren sometimes actors they get crud and good ones are like i have gotten crud but i am an actor i am going to do what i need to do and he made kylo ren interesting and captivating so if he is dr doom i am on board with that the guy is an amazing actor he's good dramatically like with kylo ren we know he can act under a mask and the guy's a brilliant comedic actor his episodes of Saturday Night Live are some of my absolute favorites. If you've never seen him on Saturday Night Live, go to Hulu, pull that up and just watch. He's in some. My favorite one is surprisingly not Matt, the radar technician. My favorite one that he was in was the, you know, the parents come in and talk about their jobs. The oil baron on career day. Yes, it's a career day. That's what it's called. It's amazing. If all else, just look up Adam Driver SNL on YouTube. Find that career day one. He looks like Albert Einstein. He is amazing. Who's H.R. Pickens? Exactly. <laughs> I crushed them into the ground. Whoever they do get to play Dr. Doom is going to have to pull off the role. And I, I'm not the biggest Adam Driver fan, but I even I will admit Adam Driver could pull off this role. So. If it makes the film better, I'm all for it. All right. I think it's time for a Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. after party. What do you think, Michelle? Of course. We need to join Jack and Ted and get some sushi.
Well, Anthony, I know it wasn't Moon Knight or She-Hulk, but I hope you had fun talking about Werewolf by Night with us. Oh, I always have a blast coming on and chatting with you. And uh, especially anytime we get to talk about Man-Thing, I'm looking for, you know, uh, maybe perhaps he gets his own film for, or at least a series with, with substantial length because I need some giant size Man-Thing. So thank you to uh, everybody. And, and as always, uh, you know, appreciate all the, the fans of the show and, and uh, everybody here on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Guinea Geek Network that puts the show together. Uh, Michelle, Laura, and Chris, SP, you guys are fantastic and amazing and uh, just love hanging out here with you. Well, thank you very much. I'd like to thank our listeners because without you, we are just people screaming into a void. We hope that, you know, our discussion enhanced your experience of watching Werewolf by Night. And we love you guys. Again, I appreciate everyone who interacts with us, whether it's Twitter or Discord, all the listeners, everyone who views, because I know sometimes y'all watch us on YouTube. That's great. I hope our discussion has inspired you to perhaps, you know, look at some of those, watch some of those other films from the 1930s to 1950s. They're not perfect, but there's just something special about them that resonated with me. And you can find me on Twitter at shell underscore game. Yes, everybody who chooses to listen to us, it's a wonderful present no matter what time of year or set of holidays that you celebrate. I, I just love getting the presence of you choosing to listen to us when you can listen to so many other things. And if you'd like to hear more from me, you can head on over to playcomics.com where two of the other people that have been on the show here, you can find episodes with them. One other person, we have a topic lined up, and one other person, I still need to figure out what we're going to talk about. But eventually, this entire quintuple set of people will have a nice giant network of things they've been on together. And Anthony, you do depictions of characters in, in your show as part of your show. You mentioned you did Elsa. What are some of the characters you have coming up on Capes on the Couch? Oh, we've got... Uh... We've got Poison Ivy. We have, I'll pull up my list right now. Hold on. Just give me a second. Cause I, Jessica Cruz, even though I'm crossing the streams. Uh, not yet. We haven't gotten to Jessica Cruz. I know Chris is, is waiting with bated breath for us to get to Jessica Cruz. We've got Mystique, Poison Ivy, Namor, Moore McTaggart, Aquaman, an entire episode with animal sidekicks. And we've done quite a few creator interviews that are going to be going up on our Patreon as well. So follow us on social media for all the links to that. We are Capes on the Couch on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. All right. And as far as me, I have a better podcasting coming back. November 2nd will be our live recording. That'll be a Wednesday, 8 p.m. at Geeks.Live. So look forward to that. And until next time, where we're going to talk some X-Men, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. I'm Special Consultant Anthony. Bye. Bye. Later. I don't have a hand to wave goodbye with. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. 
The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. I've been texting my wife, like, while, you know, we were recording and stuff, and I'm like, I... Like, can you guys, I don't know if you could hear, but my like ceiling was shaking because she was running around with my son and I'm <laughs> like texting her on Google voice. And I'm like, can, can you turn it down? Can you turn like, babe, like, please like y'all sound like elephants up there. And then I'm like, boom, 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 boom. And I thought I heard the door behind me, but I'm in the middle of speaking. And all of a sudden my son shows up next to me and he's like, daddy, come upstairs. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. But Chris, I love the I love the floating head. That's amazing. Yeah, it's the best. I love the fact that they gave us green shirts at work. <laughs> <laughs> Legends of Shield is copyright 2013 through 2022. Oh, yay! Oh.